Greetings to you, friends, from the airwaves, broadcasting to the nation and around the world, coming to you from Nick 1150 AM radio. This is Blair Hebert, story creator of the Sputnik Satellite Radio Show. Today we're looking at the character, backstory, and timeline for big band singer and swing radio DJ Nick Nicholas. Born September 9, 1910, Nick Nicholas III was named after his father and grandfather. It was an odd moniker to grow up with during his formative years, but became his trademark as a singer in the 1930s. Eldest of three, Nick became man of the house when his father went missing during the First World War. He was only a month away from discharge from the Meuse-Argonne Offensive in 1918, but was never heard from again. This loss had a lifelong effect on Nick. It left a nagging anxiety and fear that one day life would pull the rug out from under him. The loss was particularly hard on Nick's mother, who received a small pension and raised her children in poverty. Low-wage jobs paid an average of $25 a week for men and $18 for women. Nick's mother was forced to work to support her children and could barely keep a roof over their head. Nick knew from a young age he was not cut out for mindless labor and began reading voraciously and increasing his vocabulary to increase his odds of being a success one day. His visits to the library opened his eyes to the larger world of the born wealthy and the rising stock market. The New York Times had interviews with rich businessmen like John J. Raskob, who touted that if Americans invested $15 a month into the stock market, in 20 years they could have $80,000. million dollars in today's money. Raskob insisted that almost anyone who is employed could do this if they would only try. For wealthy Americans like Raskob, the Roaring Twenties was a time of immense economic prosperity. Yet for the average American, it wasn't. So if low-income workers had followed Raskob's advice, they would have lost all their principal and capital earnings in the stock market crash at the end of the decade. Nick was not like other boys in his teens, and he didn't have an interest in competitive sports or hanging out in gangs. He was somewhat introverted and more interested in reading and listening to music, particularly church music. Not the hymns of the large stone churches in the center of town, but rather the storefront gospel assemblies on Main Street. Gospel music had become a part of the American sonic landscape in the 1920s, and Nick was a believer. Through records, live shows, and radio broadcasts, gospel music expressed the spiritual longing of the working-class Americans, down-to-earth folks whose religious traditions were rough-hewn and uncomplicated by ritual. They just needed to clap and shout, to sing and sway. Nick would sneak away from home early Sunday mornings and hang around the open ramshackled back doors of the pop-up churches and sing worship music along with the believers inside. In August 1929, Ladies Home Journal published an article titled Everybody Ought to Be Rich, based on the book title of John J. Raskob. By then, Nick's view of life had changed, and he thought the article unfairly biased, comparing the ladies to his own hard-working mother. He felt a righteous indignation over the lack of assistance and caring for the poor working families. Within a month, the 1929 stock market crashed, and Nick had an epiphany. He decided there was no magic formula to getting rich, only personal intuition, 
guts and hard work. So he set about to build his brand. He was going to be a celebrated entertainer. Starting out, Nick used the only tools God gave him. Good looks, sharp dress code, and a smooth baritone singing voice. Still in his 20s during the dirty 30s, Nick was always hungry while still developing his musical talent and often found himself singing for his supper. He was always chasing money, take care of his single mother, and saving for the big investment he would make one day. The one that would show the world he was a self-made man. His hunger for attention matched his hunger for food in those days. With every dollar he saved, he invested into his wardrobe and his growing jazz record collection. Nick's charm, good looks, and flair for fashion always made an impression and helped to hide his anxiety and fear and desperation. He learned the fine art of appearing cool, man. This ego drive helped get him much-needed attention from big bands looking for a frontman. As a result, he develops a solid repertoire of songs and becomes known as a dependable crooner right up and beyond the entrance of the U.S. into the Second World War. Along the way, during the 30s, Nick makes friends with a bevy of cool cats, musicians, vipers, con artists all out to make a buck, some at the expense of others. This made him a bit cynical and cautious while traveling from town to town on the trains off to the next gig, but he becomes lifelong friends with fellow musicians like Slim Gaillard and Fats Waller, Jazz Jazz. It was from these groovy hepcats he picks up the hip jive talk and slang that would later become his trademark DJ rap. At age 32, Nick enlists in the U.S. Army to go and fight overseas like his father. Shockingly, he gets rejected due to an unknown irregular heartbeat. He feels a deep shame from this and is afraid to go on stage and being labeled a coward. Eventually, he comes to terms with himself and continues to do what he does best, singing in swing bands, playing for troops on the bases and in dance clubs, filled with folks from all walks of life, just waiting for the war to end. In 1945, the troops return home. America changes rapidly as young couples get married, have kids, and build new family homes. Nick finds his singing career in decline as couples trade dance music for lullabies. Times have changed. Still unmarried, Nick begins looking for his niche market to invest his savings into. He decides to branch out into radio broadcasting and become a DJ personality. With his sizable jazz record collection and moderate savings, he embarks upon a plan to acquire a radio license and start a station. It is at this time he meets Daryl Lang, who has been tinkering with international broadband and shortwave radio for years, and who is known in the industry as an amateur radio expert. Together they pursue Daryl's dream of building a local AM radio station of 50,000 watts, whose daytime pattern can reach all Midwest America and the West Coast. At night, switching its pattern to include an additional subfrequency, the broadcast pattern reaches most of continental USA and Canada. This is a prize radio frequency pattern, with a huge swath of listeners able to tune in nightly. As a bonus, the station gets to choose its own call letters, and in June of 1947, Nick 1150 Radio is born. The large advertising potential for such a demographic is the station's net worth, and Nick works the phone selling airtime while also spinning records. 
Daryl keeps the transmitter going 24-7 with an operator playing magnetic tape-recorded music and canned commercials all night. Nick works the mic announcing advertising during the day. This goes on for a full decade and launches the station as a solid advertising platform and develops into a premium swing radio station in the early 50s. When rock and roll hits the airwaves in the mid-50s, Nick ignores the sign of change and refuses to switch the format from swing. New syndicated stations start popping up and competing for a younger audience. Nick 1150 sees longtime advertising clients move to radio competitors and television, some leaving radio altogether. All the car dealerships want to focus on the younger audience listening to rock and roll AM stations. Children of the Lindy Hop era are now buying Chevys with AM radios, listening and bopping to the big backbeat of rock and roll. They are now the new demographic with money to burn as they all have new factory jobs manufacturing for the world. A Made in USA sticker is a symbol of pride. As Nick 1150 advertising revenue dries up, Nick takes on debt to keep the station alive. He does not let on to the staff that they are existing month to month until the inevitable happens. The bank calls in a loan and Nick cannot pay staff. Two months go by without pay and all the excuses are used up. Nick faces the demise of his beloved Nick 1150 radio. It's now October the 1st, 1957, the day of reckoning. Whatever transpires next will affect his world, and he is of the opinion that anything can happen. All he can do is hold on tight. Little does Nick know, but the world is about to change in the launch of a Soviet rocket ship, and he's just along for the ride. We hope you have enjoyed this glimpse into the life and times of Nick Nicholas III and subscribe to our podcast. Join us for the next week as we dive into the life of Tracy Albright, hero of the story. Tracy is an amazing character who eventually moves on from small-town life in Nick 1150 Radio to make her mark on the world stage. But that's a story for another day. This is Blair Hebert signing off. Stay safe and keep on rocking in the free world.